0: Yeah. Judges chapter number 2. Judges chapter number 2. <clears throat> the nation of Israel is God's chosen people. By the way, still is God's chosen people. There are places out there that uh, they, they believe that the Israelites are cut off and that they are no longer God's chosen people. The truth is, God gave them an everlasting covenant and that God. Even though Israel may break their side of covenant, God won't break His. And they are still His chosen people. God still has a plan for Israel in the end times. And while there's a season here where He's not doing as much with them as uh, He would like, I'm sure, uh, there will come a time again where God will do a great thing through Israel. (coughs) But shortly... After their bondage in Egypt, if you remember the story, and Joseph was sold into slavery, and God really used the uh, nation of Egypt to sustain uh, the young nation of Israel as they were going through famine. But God so blessed the nation of Israel, they, went under, uh, they were under bondage to the Egyptians at a certain point. And uh, we remember how that God brought them out. If you remember the story of the wilderness... Wanderings and the crossings uh, of the Red Sea, and then later on the, the Jordan River, as they come into Canaan land. And uh, because of their unbelief, because of their lack of trusting God, in spite of all that they saw God do, uh, God caused them to wander in the wilderness for 40 years. He said, if, if, if what, the, the signs and the wonders that He had shown them, if that wasn't enough to get them to put their faith in Him, then they needed time to to have a generation that's raised up, that knows God and sees His wonderful works and His provision. And so for 40 years in the wilderness, as those that were uh, there at the time of uh, the first approach to Canaan and decided that they were uh, too strong and that the the, uh, giants were in the land, and as that generation died off and a new generation arose, this generation comes into Canaan, uh, with a great faith, and uh, they begin to conquer the land. God gives them some very strong encouragement. Moses is off the scene; he's passed the torch to Joshua, and Joshua gives that great, great message at the end of his life. Choose you this day, whom ye will serve. But as for me and my house, he said, we're going to serve the Lord. He said, you can choose whatever you want, but my house and I, we're going to serve the Lord. And by the way, don't don't choose who you're going to serve based on what everybody else is doing. Choose who you're going to serve based on the one that loved you and gave his life for you. And uh, so Joshua, he gives this great stirring speech. And, and Israel says, yes, that's what we're going to do. We're going to serve him too. He's going to be our God. But they don't do that. They begin to, uh, to do some things and get involved with some of the, the pagan uh, uh, people that are around in the uh, land of Canaan. They begin to take some of their gods and we'll pick up reading in verse number 34 of chapter 1, just a couple of verses before chapter 2. And the Amorites forced the children of Dan into the mountain, for they would not suffer them to come down to the valley, but the Amorites would dwell in Mount Heres, in Agalon and in Sheolbim. Yet the hand of the house of Joseph prevailed so that they became tributaries, and the coast of the Amorites was from the going of the uh, Akabim uh, from the rock and upward. And so there's the struggle going on here uh, of conquering the land. So this is the setting that we find ourselves in. And the angel of the Lord came up, verse number, chapter number 2, came up from Gilgal to Bochum and said, I made you to go up out of Egypt and have brought you into the, unto the land which I swear unto your fathers. And I said, I will never break my covenant with you. And ye shall make no league with the inhabitants of this land. Ye shall throw down their altars. But ye have not obeyed My voice. Why have ye done this? Wherefore, I also said, I will not drive them out from before you, but they shall be as thorns in your sides, and their gods shall be a snare unto you. And it came to pass, when the angel of the Lord spake these words unto all the children of Israel, that the people lift up their voice and wept, and they called the name of that place Bochem, and they sacrificed there unto the Lord. And so they, they had begun following after the nations. They weren't driving them out. They had become tributaries to some. And God said, Listen, I made a covenant with you that I would be your God and you would trust me and you would drive the inhabitants out of the land. He said, You haven't done these things. And so God said, Because of that, I'm going to leave some of these people here and they're going to be thorns in your sides. I'm not going to drive them utterly out from before you. And so God tells them all this. And I love what is said in verse number 4, don't you? And it came to pass when the angel of the Lord spake these words unto all the children of Israel that the people lift up their voice and wept. And by the way, every time God points out something wrong in my life, that ought be my response. I, I, I've heard people say sometimes before, and, and when we preach the truth of God's Word, they leave the church and they say, boy, I was offended today by what, what that was teaching there. But wait a minute. If it's something I'm saying, that's one thing. But if it's something that the Bible is saying, then that's not offensive. That is what we call conviction of the Holy Spirit on our hearts. And when there's conviction of the Holy Spirit on our hearts, there's to be a proper response to that. God is not trying to push us away. God is trying to draw us to Him. And so what He wants us to do is to lift up our voice and to cry out to Him and to get these things right. And that's exactly what the nation of Israel does here in verse number 4. And they called the name of the place, Bochum, and they sacrificed there unto the Lord. And if the story ended there, we would say, boy, what a great thing has happened here. They got away from the Lord. God pointed it out to them. Gave them a little chastening in the process to get their attention. And they come back to God and they sacrifice to Him again. But the story doesn't end there. The Bible says, And when Joshua let the people go, the children of Israel went every man unto his inheritance to possess the land. And the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders that outlived Joshua, who had, and I want you to understand this word or underline it if you are in the habit of underlining in your Scriptures, who had seen, do we see that word there? Note that. Who had seen all the great works of the Lord that he did for Israel. And Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died being a hundred and ten years old, and they buried him in the border of his inheritance in Timnathurus, in the Mount of Ephraim on the north side of the hill Gaash And also, uh, and all that generation, so the generation of, of Joshua there, all that generation were gathered under their fathers. And there arose another generation after them, which knew not the Lord nor yet the works which He had done for Israel. Oh, what a story. We sit here, we read of God doing a work in Joshua's heart, and under His leadership, the nation of Israel, even when they find themselves at fault, respond right, and they come back to God, and they say, Lord, we want to make sure that these things are right, and they sacrifice The Bible says that as long as that generation was alive, they served the Lord. But when that generation passed off the scene, the Bible says here that there rose a generation after them who knew not the Lord, nor yet the works which He had done for Israel. I think so often times in our life we are so egocentric, we are so consumed with my life, Boy, I'll tell you, I, I'd love to see great revival happen in my life. I think that that's a wonderful thing. We ought to drive and, and pursue after those things. But where's the desire, where's the burden for me to see the revival that would happen in my son's life? Maybe after I pass off the scene that this country would still be a, a nation that's one nation under God that had fire in its pulpits and God's power upon their preachers and the Word of God being proclaimed that would work in my son's life. You see, I'm so consumed oftentimes with my day and my generation and what happens in my lifetime that I fail to do work to help the next generation. Tomorrow we're going to have a bunch of young people come in here, vacation Bible school. Some people say, why in the world do you do that? Boy, you do crafts and it's all about the crafts. We want them to have fun in the middle of summer. No, that's not why we do it. If we wanted them to have fun in the middle of summer, I'd take them to the park or do something else with them. We're having vacation Bible school. We're doing, we're going to have some crafts and we'll have some fun that'll go on here. But the reason we're doing what we're doing is so that we can pass on to the generation to come the great works of God. One of the things that I believe has cost cost us a generation and now maybe two or three generations of young people, even in my lifetime, has been the fact that there are some of us sitting here today with gray hair on our heads that have seen God do great works. We've seen them in our lives. We've seen the miracles. We've seen God do powerful things. We've watched Him as He's done things in my life and in your life. But we fail to transfer those things over to this next generation and the generation to come. There's two reasons why we fail in it. Number one is because we fail to talk about them. We don't tell people. We don't. When God does something in our lives, we don't tell them about the things that God's done for us. There are times that and my son will tell you if you ask. And there's times that something will happen in our lives that's a blessing and. And the first thing I do is to turn to him and say, Jonathan, God did that for us. What a blessing. What an amazing God we have. Because I want Jonathan to see that that wasn't just a circumstance or something that happened. That was something that God did in my life. I want him to realize that God is not dead. He's still alive. He's still working. He's still doing things. I don't want him to read about David and Goliath and Daniel and the lion's did, and then not see God at work in my life. Because he's going to come up as a young man thinking God's dead. He's no longer doing anything. They failed to pass on to the generation that followed them, the things that they were eyewitnesses of. Could you imagine coming from that generation? I mean, here's Joshua. Joshua was there when they crossed the Red Sea. Joshua was there when Moses spoke to the rock and the water came out. Joshua was there when the bread showed up as man on the ground. Joshua was there when they crossed the Jordan River. Joshua was there through the miracles of Moses and his rod and all the plagues of Egypt. Joshua was there and had seen the mighty hand of God at work. Joshua was there at the battle of Jericho and watched the walls come tumbling down. Joshua was there at the battle of Ai and so on as they went into the nations and into uh, the promised land and saw God time after time after time fight the battles for them. Joshua was there when Moses held up his hands and the battle was being won. And when Moses' arms got tired and dropped down, the battle was lost. And Joshua was there as the day grew long and the battle was growing hot and they were losing the daylight. And he looked up and he said, I need the sun and the moon to stand still. And guess what? It did. Joshua saw it. But the generation after him didn't. And if they did not know the Lord nor His marvelous works, what that tells me is that generation did a poor job telling the generation after them the greatness of their God. I spent a few moments this morning talking about how we need to lift up the Lord Jesus Christ. Can I tell you this? If there's a generation that turns from God... If there's a generation that sits in the pews of our churches and when they get out from their homes, they go out those doors and never step foot in a church again, it's because we have failed to teach them of the greatness of our God. They've had their eyes on a Sunday school program or they've had their eyes on a teacher or a youth pastor or a pastor and they've had their eyes on a program, but they've not had their eyes taken and put on Jesus. Because when people are seeing, when they see Jesus the way that He really is, Jesus promised this according to Scripture, and I, if I be lifted up, will draw all men unto me. We lift up the Lord Jesus Christ, He'll do the rest. There's another reason why I believe that this generation arose that knew not God. Not only were they not seeing or not hearing the things that this generation had seen, but secondly, they were no longer seeing the things that God had done for that generation. You say, Brother Greg, what do you mean? I have experienced in my own life times where I have talked about wonderful, amazing, miraculous works of God, and and I, I talk often. I, I'll, re, I'll re, recount and I'll, I'll think of the stories from. 15 years ago or 20 years ago when that revival happened or, or that miracle that God did in my life or, or the, the, I shared last Sunday uh, an event that happened in my life right out of college that to me was just God doing something and showing me some things. And, and I, I, we oftentimes we get to a place in our life where we don't expect God to continue to do those things. We just rest on the fact that He used to do those things. We put our life on Christian cruise control, so to speak, and we're content with where we're at, and we're not striving and praying and asking for God's power to still be at work in our life. And we're raising up a generation after us who not only don't hear about a God that's working and doing wonderful things, they don't see God doing wonderful things in our life anymore. Oh, we used to. I used to run a bus route, I've heard people say. Boy, we'd run two or three buses and fill them up every week. Boy, I taught in Sunday school class. I used to sing in the choir, Brother Greg. Boy, I used to go out and see people saved all the time and passed out tracts all the time. It's amazing to see what God did in those days. You know, Joel spoke of this in the scriptures. He said, "There's going to come a time." He spoke prophetically where your young men will dream dreams, and your old your old or I'm sorry, your old men will dream dreams and young men will see visions. What he was saying by that is you're going to see a generation where there's going to be some young people that are going to say, boy, we want to see what God can do. And you're going to have a generation that's going to say, well, God used to do. They're still thinking about the things that God did behind them. Can I tell you this? God is just as strong and God is just as mighty and capable of doing things today as He was when I was younger. God is just as able to do things today as He was in the days of Joshua and Moses and the children of Israel. Here we, here we have a group of people that, that we come every week to this church, Keith the Heights Baptist Church, and we sing songs about God's love and God's might and God's power. Victory in Jesus, my Savior forever. We talk about the power of God in salvation and the power of God in helping us live a life that is pleasing to Him. And then we go out the doors and we don't expect God to do anything. We're not trusting Him by faith. We're not launching out and saying, Lord, I want to attempt great things for You, and I want Your Holy Spirit to lead and direct in those areas, and I want to see Your power at work. To have a hunger and a thirst for God to do things not not years ago, but I want Him to do them today. I want God to send that revival today. I want God to use me today. Why? Because there's a young man sitting in that booth there that's watching his dad. And he's heard a lot of stories about what God has done in my life. But I want him to see what God is going to do in my life. The generation that rose up after them. I mean, we're talking about men of renown in Israel. Judges and leaders and rulers that were godly men that had seen with their own eyes... God bring them into the promised land. They saw the miracles. How is it that their young people coming up after them did not know the Lord? They failed to teach them, they failed to show them. Where is the faith of last generation? When Elijah was taken up by God, the whirlwind came and took him up to heaven. His mantle fell, the Bible says. And Elisha, who was his student, his pupil, the one that he was mentoring, took the mantle in his hand and he went to the the brook and the, the, the river where they had crossed. And he took the cloak of Elijah and he struck the waters with it and said, Where is the Lord God of Elijah? In other words, God, I don't want You to just do something for Elijah. I want You to do it for me. I want there to be Your power on my life. And I want it now. I don't want it it something we talk about, something that we reminisce about, something that we gather in our, our, our fellowships and say, boy, God used to do some great things in this church. God used to do some great things in my life. I want Him to do it today. And I want Him to do it in my life. Because I've got a generation that I'm influencing that needs to look at Brother Greg and say, not only did God do something in Greg's life when he was young, but He continued to do it. We've seen Him. We've seen God do something. We've heard Him talk about these things. And we've seen it with our own eyes. We get to verse number 11. The Bible says, "...and the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord, and they served Balaam. And they forsook. It's a strong word. They forsook the Lord God of their fathers, which brought them out of the land of Egypt They followed other gods of the gods of the people that were round about them and bowed themselves unto them and provoked the Lord to anger. It doesn't take much looking around to see generations of young people that are following after the gods of this world. Actors that are their heroes. Singers that are their heroes. Ball players, sports, athletic people that are their heroes. They're looking to a world that hates God, despises God for their gods. The Bible says, and they forsook, in verse number 13, they forsook the Lord and served Baal and Ashtaroth the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel, and He delivered them into the hands of spoilers and spoiled them. And He sold them into the hands of their enemies round about, so that they could not any longer stand before their enemies. Whithersoever they went out, the hand of the Lord was against them for evil. As the Lord had said, and as the Lord had sworn unto them, and they were greatly distressed. Nevertheless, I want you to notice this, the Lord raised up judges which delivered them out of the hand of those that spoiled them. And yet, they would not hearken unto their judgments. Uh, uh, judges. They went whoring after other gods and bowed themselves unto them, turned quickly out of the way which their fathers walked in, obeying the commandments of the Lord. But they did not so. We look at that and we read that passage and we think, well, what a travesty. Here's a generation, the children of probably one of the great generations of Israel. Under great leadership. They'd just come out from under Moses' leadership and Joshua's leadership. Yeah, they'd had their problems, but they had gotten them right and they'd come back to the Lord and they were sacrificing. They were doing what they were supposed to do. A great, great generation. And then comes the generation that forsakes God. And God begins to reap the consequences on their heads for their choices. By the way, that's always the case, isn't it? We do have the right, God gives us free will to make our own choices. But we don't get to choose the consequences of those choices, they're going to happen. We sit here and we read the consequences of this generation. I'll be honest with you; my heart breaks. I look at this generation. I think, boy, they had to pay such a price, such a price. God, God, who allowed them to come under bondage, and, and sometimes these these other countries would put them under subjection and put them under tribute and make their lives miserable. We think, well, it was their own doing. They're the ones that forsook God. They're the ones that went after the other idols. I'm going to make a very careful statement here. Every man has to make his own choice, and I understand that. But I put some of the blame of not informing them enough about the right choice on the generation before them. You ever had to try to make a choice and you don't have all the information. A generation that rose up after them that knew not God nor His works. Yes, they' chose to go that path. But how much responsibility of that is laid at the feet of the prior generation? for not teaching them and for not showing them the mighty hand of God. In the book of Deuteronomy, they're taught that they were supposed to be teaching their children when they walk by the way, when they go in and out of their house, when they lay down and when they rise up. And basically, when you read that passage, you find that in every aspect of life, they were to be teaching the next generation. You say, boy, those, those children that forgot God, that forsook God, they made their own bed. Now they got to pay the price for it. They may have made their own choice. That generation that preceded them certainly has some blame in the, in the fact. I want to encourage us in two things today. Whether you want to be or not, you're influencing a younger generation. You say, Brother Greg, I don't want to. <laughs> Sorry, it's not the way life works. You're influencing on younger generation. Number one, do they hear you talk about all the things that God has done in your life? And then number two, do you show them a life that God is working in? Folks, if we don't, we're going to continue to lose the generations that follow us. We're going to lose them, Brother Greg, well, we have BBS. <laughs> Three hours a day, one week, five days out of the year. And we think that's going to influence the next generation. It may cause a great decision to be made that puts them on the right track, but they're going to be changed when God gets a hold of their heart. When they begin to put their eyes upon Him, not the the youth worker, not the pastor, not the church, but they put their eyes upon Jesus. And they say, oh, what a great God I have. Not one that Brother Greg had. The psalmist said it best in Psalm 51, I believe it is. He said, O oh God, Thou art my God. I want every young person in this room to be able to say, O oh God, Thou art my God. I want every middle-aged person in this room to be able to say, O oh God, Thou art my God. And those of us that He used to be our God years ago, and we still claim that He is, We need to get back to saying, Oh God, Thou art my God. I want to walk with You. I want to talk with You. I want to have Your working in my life apparent daily. I want to see it at work. And maybe, maybe, we'll begin to see some generations turn not away from God, not forsaking Him, maybe we'll see some generations that will turn toward God. And so well, what a great God we have. Let's stand together, shall we, with heads bowed and eyes closed. Father, we're so thankful for Your Word. pray that You would use the message today to challenge us. Lord, my heart is broken. We get an opportunity this week to spend a few hours and influence some young people for the cause of Christ for a few hours. Oh, we'll have some fun with them. We'll have craft time and Bible memory time and game time and lesson time and preaching time. But Lord, more importantly, I pray that this next week, over the next five days, they will look at these workers that are here and say, boy, God is working in their life. Oh Lord, we're pleading with you. Help us help us to seek for Your working in my life and in the lives of these folks that the generation to come can see Your mighty works. They can know them firsthand. Perhaps they would turn their hearts to You. May we be such a generation not to neglect teaching, not to neglect the walking with You in our lives. But that we would strive to press toward the mark. That we would seek for You diligently. That we would ask and yearn for Your power and Your workings on our lives. And so, Father, bless the message this morning. Use this. You would seek fit. Lord, if there's someone here today that does not know if they were to die, that they would go to heaven. They've never trusted You as their Savior. I pray that You would allow them to come forward in the invitation time and let's take the Bible and show them how they can be saved. For Christians that are here, I pray that you'd help to challenge us and encourage us to not just be content with what you have done in our lives, but that we will be excited about what you are doing in our lives. That we'll point it out to the generation to come how great of a God we have and lift you up to a lost and a dying world. Bless the invitation. Use it, Lord, as you would see fit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.